Well, Isaiah, uh, as I've been reading through this week, Isaiah, I've come across two kind of other ways in which it's referred to uh, by some writers about Isaiah and about the book of Isaiah. Uh, One title was, they call it the fifth gospel. So four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. And then Isaiah, probably because it it captures so much of what Jesus uh, teaches and speaks about and demonstrates about the kingdom of God, that Isaiah has become known as the fifth gospel, uh, pointing people towards uh, returning to God in repentance and confession, but then living in ways that demonstrate the kingdom of God. And then the other uh, title that they give it or give Isaiah is what we call the urban prophet. The urban prophet. The prophet of the city. And so as we think about what it means for us as a church in the city center, right in the city, we go to the urban prophet to help us find our way and ask what does the urban prophet have to say? What is God saying through the urban prophet about what it means for us to be a church gathered in the city? And when I was first asked to come here by the congregation, by Perth Church, I said to the board, this is a question we need to wrestle with. What does it mean for us to be located as a church in the city? We need to work out what that means, and then we need to live into it. And so I want us to look, and I sent an email during the week saying, if you want to prepare ahead, read from Isaiah 58 through to 62. Now, we're not going to do a show of hands of who actually managed it. But it's a powerful set of verses about what it is to be the people of God generally, but also specifically in the city. And I'm not going to read it all, although I did say to some people on Friday night, maybe I should just read all five verses and then drop the mic and walk down. And, you know. But I'm going to share a few things. And if you read through those chapters, what happens is, or what can happen, is we get a wee bit kind of uncomfortable at the beginning, but then we, we, we start to see a variety of different things that the prophet says. It's far more um, comfortable and comforting. And I do want us to get there. So, you know, we have words like um, the stuff we love to remember from Isaiah 58 to 62 is, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, not his ear too dull to hear. That's what, that's what spontaneously happened just a few moments ago when we, when we were worshiping and we started to pray. We were reminding ourselves that the arm of the Lord is never too short and his ear is never too dull to hear. Ah, oh, praise the Lord. That's great. We love to remember that. Then we love to remember Isaiah 61 because this is kind of like, you know, rallying the troops. Arise, shine, for your light has come. We remember those because they're good. They, They make us feel good about things. Or we could go on to chapter 60, verse 17. I will make peace your governor and well-being your ruler. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? God's speaking over his people and over the city and over the nation and saying, peace is going to be your governor. Man, wouldn't that that be great? And well-being will be your ruler. If ever there was a word for the season in a mental health pandemic, that well-being would be your ruler. I'm going to remember that, pop that in my back pocket. 
Or when God says in chapter 62, they will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought after, the city no long deserted. And I believe that means physically as well as spiritually. I mean, I walk down South Street or High Street, we'll know that there's a whole load of stuff deserted. But I, I love to remember that when God visits a city, and the holy people rise up, the redeemed of the Lord, then you will be called sought after the city no longer deserted. And we love to remember these verses. I believe this is possible. I believe God wants to do this and does do this very kind of thing. And it's easy for us to remember all of that and be comforted and encouraged. But you can't rush to these without looking at chapter 58. Because that was the stumbling block to all of this. And so I do want to read uh, chapter 58, just the first few verses, uh, first 12 verses. Shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet. You expect something warm and, you know, to come, but instead, declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, but you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed this is towards God? But then it goes on to say, but yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Oof. And all our gathering and all our rituals and all our praying and all our seeking and all our fasting. For some reason, God says to them, you cannot fast as you do today and all your rituals and express your voice to be heard if other things aren't being done. Is this the kind of fasting I've chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free? and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. And you'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring 
whose waters never fail. And your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. That's the kind of church we need to be. In these verses from Isaiah 58, 1, right the way to almost the end of chapter 59, we may not remember these words too much because they're a rebuke and a challenge. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. We find that in chapter 59, verse 15b. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. Why is God not answering? Why is God not, is he not listening? Has he forgotten us? Why is God not answering? It's not because they're not asking, they were asking. It's because they weren't doing. It was what they weren't doing that God had asked them to do, that in their asking, they weren't hearing anything from God. I've told you what to do. Do it. And don't just wrap up all your requests in a, in a nice little fasting period or a particular time. But do what I'm asking you to do. And you'll hear me. They're not doing. They're disobeying. They're apathetic about compassion and justice. They feel quite self-righteous. Oh, we're asking, we're fasting, we're praying but they're not doing what the kingdom of God demands them to do. Because God loves justice and righteousness and compassion. And so he has to send a prophet for a rebuke and a challenge. And to say to them, you think you have spiritual practices and disciplines, but those spiritual practices and disciplines aren't just fasting and seeking and prayer. They are compassion and mercy and justice and action that changes the way the world and the city is. Nikki Gumbel uh, in the Alpha Course talking about unanswered prayer says this, we cannot expect God to answer prayer when there is disobedience in the life of the church or the individual. And Isaiah is very specific in Chapter 58, verse 1, he calls this a rebellion to not do what God says we ought to do. We call that the sin of omission. Not doing what God asks us to do in this righteousness and justice. And so we need to be people who both act as well as ask. That's the kind of church we need to be. We won't allow this to happen in our city, with our church. And that's why we're investing in this city hub lead role. Both of these roles that we're recruiting for, that we're investing in, are mobilizing roles, that they mobilize the whole people of God for the whole mission of God and the whole power of God for the sake of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the reason we're investing in this very role is because we are to be people who both act and ask. And when God looked at his people in Isaiah, the time of Isaiah, and he sent Isaiah to speak to him prophetically, he said, 
You might be asking, but you need to be acting with righteousness, with justice, with compassion. Well, that's chapter 58 and 59, and with all these other nice, comforting, you know, inspiring verses throughout these five chapters, don't forget that it started in chapter 58. Well, it actually starts in chapter one. It's, Isaiah is a tough read for many of those chapters. Why? Because God says, you need to be doing what I've asked you to do. And so we move into chapter 59. And we move from rebuke and challenge to judgment and mercy. <clears throat> judgment and mercy. A time of loss and silence has fallen on God's people. God himself, when they have not acted, is now going to act. And as a result of that, there will be a time of loss for God's people and a time of silence. That's why they can't hear God. There are consequences to their not acting. And God comes and he steps in and there are consequences for the people of God not doing what he said they should do. Their inward self-focused, self-soothing religion had ignored the mission and purpose God had gathered them for and called them for, to live and act in ways that reflect the love, peace, and justice of God. And we don't just see this in the prophet Isaiah and in the Old Testament, but we see it also in the New Testament. If you were to go to Matthew chapter 25, you would hear Jesus talking to his followers and to those who were around about the fact that we should feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit those in prison. In fact, he says some things that we don't like to hear. He says some things like, if you do not do this, I will separate the sheep from the goats. And those who did not do these things, I'll not know you. We, we rightly talk about faith in Christ and grace from Christ and that our salvation is in Christ. But let me tell you, if we were to take Jesus serious in Matthew 25, if we are not feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and visiting those in prison and living in ways of justice and compassion, as if we were doing it to Christ himself, then Jesus has some difficult words for us. I don't know you. I'm separating my sheep from the goats. This is serious stuff, being the church in the city and living and planning and acting in ways that reform and change the way things are in the city. And the consequence of them not doing so was silence and then loss. And in the end, they lost everything, even the city. They were overturned by the Babylonian empire and exiled to another place. This is serious stuff that both Isaiah and then Jesus was speaking about. But that's not the end of the story. But it is in the story. With God, even though they lost everything, it is never the end of the story. 
in the end, mercy will prevail. That in judgment, mercy will prevail. God is a God of loyal love and the second chance. And so <clears throat> after those verses in Isaiah 59, 16 to 19 about God entering in and the judgment that he has to serve, we read these words. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you, and my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips, on the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants from this time on and forever, says the Lord. Judgment is not the end of the story. Mercy comes. God's love and mercy. And I love these words because I... For the church, and I'm not just talking about Trinity, I'm just talking about the church in general now across the UK and maybe even beyond. I think there are things that we're going to have to relearn about what it means to be the people of God and the people of God in the city. But God is a God of mercy who comes and gives us a second chance always and says, so I sent my prophets so that you could have a second chance to put right what is wrong. And to live in these ways that Isaiah 58 says we're not living in. Because you're mine. And I'm not going to break my covenant with you. Because I love you so much. And I'm a God of mercy. And I will be with you. And the, um, the words, my words that I've put in your lips will always be on your lips. I'm telling you this so that you can put right what is not right. And you can do what I'm asking you to do. We see the same thing in the New Testament. If you go to James chapter 2, he, he talks about, he's talking about the context of injustice and unfairness, favoritism uh, for some, and not thinking or looking after the poor, not responding to injustices with justice. But in it, James says, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful, for mercy triumphs over judgment. The God of mercy. He warns us because he gives us a second chance. I've told you what to do. Now do it. And in his mercy, he gives another chance. And I think the church in the UK is being given a prophetic warning. God is saying, do what I asked you to do as a people of compassion and justice as well as seeking and asking you need to act well that's chapter 59 and then from chapter 62 to 60 uh, from 60 to 62 in this second chance mercy God paints this beautiful picture through Isaiah of the flourishing of the city hallelujah and the flourishing of the nation as he moves with the people of God and acts with compassion and justice. And so we see in uh, Isaiah 61 and 62, a new picture of hope and renewal for the city and for the people. And in God's mercy, he comes to rebuild and renew the desolate city of Jerusalem. 
And we have these wonderful words. Uh, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. It's beautiful, really powerful that God would do that. But when God does that, it's not so that we can sit and say, great God, go do your thing. It's so that we can join with God in him doing his thing in compassion and justice so that the city can be rebuilt and renewed. There is hope and renewal for the city and for the people. And then at the end of chapter 62, that whole sense of a new will be called sought after, a city no longer deserted. For long for for Perth. And the themes of, of chapter 60 through 62 are simple. It, it's, it's acts and it's themes of <clears throat> working with God to rebalance the social and economic prosperity for all. The kingdom of God impacts the social and economic well-being of a city. Of all people. That's kingdom economics. That is kingdom social life. When all are prospering, one way or another. That's justice and righteousness. That's just and right. There's themes of healing and comfort and well-being for the broken. And there's a lot of brokenness around. And in compassion and with the mercy of God and in the power of the Spirit, we must be people of healing and comfort and well-being for those who are broken in our city, on our doorsteps, in our communities, in workplaces, your neighborhood, your neighbors, your family. There's themes of freedom and release for those who have lived in darkness and captivity and still are just now, whether that be in the darkness of poverty or whether that's in the darkness of addiction or whether that's a darkness of abuse, an abusive relationship, that captivity. And the picture that is painted in Isaiah 60, 61, and 62 is of a city and the people of God who are rebuilding in these ways. And there's freedom and there's release for those who've lived in darkness. Acting as well as asking. And then there's welcome to foreigners and strangers and refugees. And if you read through Isaiah 60, 61, and 62, they come and join them in rebuilding the ancient ruins and restoring places long devastated. Well, that's interesting. The stranger is welcomed, the foreigner is welcomed, the refugee is welcomed, so that they can join in the rebuilding of a city with the people of God and with God. And in the midst of all of this, God will be present, orchestrating the restoration with his people, not instead of his people. With his people. They will rebuild the shalom, the peace and prosperity of a city together, God and his people. And so the restoration, the rebuilding, the renewal is announced. That's what God wants to do. Now it needs to be entered and enacted by God's people. That's us.
That's why we're investing in the city hub and in the city hub lead. We're investing where God expects us to work and obey and where we need to invest in. And it's not that we'll employ someone so they can do all of this. We'll employ someone so they can help us get there as the whole people of God. These are mobilizing roles. That's why we're investing because I can't read the scriptures any other way. It's what the prophets say and it's what Jesus says. I've used this verse a few times when we talk about creating and renovating and refurbing next door. We speak about it as a city hub. And that we would seek the peace and prosperity of the city, praying to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. There it is, act and ask. Seeking the peace and prosperity of the city, when we seek it, we live, we work, we invest, we build, we bless, we serve. That's our doing. We need to be active in the bringing of all that Isaiah is challenging in chapter 58, of all that Isaiah is painting in chapter 60 to 62. That's our calling in this city. And so we need to be seeking it by investing our work, our time, our energy by blessing and serving in this justice and compassion that God calls us to, and pray. It's act and ask, but it must be act as well. And that means being in and with the city, one of the roles that we will want this person, whoever we employ to do, is help us to be more in and with the city, listening to the city, understanding and knowing the city, not making assumptions as I look back in my time of ministry, I made an awful lot of assumptions about the East End of Glasgow that God had to check with me the more I got to know the community of the East End of Glasgow. Assumptions that I had made that weren't true. But when you're in and with a city or a community, you begin to see things from a different perspective and God shows you a different perspective. We want to understand and know the city better. We need to be more relational into the city. That's why we want to employ someone that can help us develop networks and partnerships and leaders and help us to do that together. And then in our understanding and our listening and understanding and knowing the city, that means we can respond to the city and with the city. The reason I went through some of the other things that are happening in the city in our quiz is to say, let me tell you, there's a lot of people out there doing stuff that looks very much like the kind of thing God would ask the church to do. You know, it looks a little bit like the kingdom of God. And there are people who are doing things out there that we can not only talk to but work with. Really excited about what happens when local councils and, and AA fellowships you know, begin to seek you out to see how you can work together for the good and for the prospering and for the peace of the city. We can respond to and with the city, for the city, enacting the good news. The good news is to be announced, but it's also to be enacted, to be demonstrated. And then there are times where, as a church, in this place we are in the city of Perth, 
that we want to acknowledge and cheer on and work with others in the city, work with those where there is compassion and justice at work. We, we speak about ourselves. We said our values would be compassionate advocacy and humble unity. That compassionate advocacy that we, we will reach out in love and compassion. But also we'll speak truth to power and we'll change the way things are. That's justice, that's advocacy. And we said that we would do this in humble unity, that we'd understand that this is not something we do in our own, but rather we kneel towards others and we'll rise together with them. That's why partnership is so important. Working with others who are doing justice and compassion. Why, why wouldn't we? Those connections with others. And so whether it's St. Johnston or Food Banks or Perth Academy or Perth and Kinross Council or AA Fellowships, other churches. Let me tell you, there's something happening amongst the pastors of the churches in Perth naturally, supernaturally, um, both, where we're just getting together and pray because that's, that's just what we're doing. We do a bit of eating as well. We, we've been for an overnight away where we just pray. I've never experienced this before. We, we tried to do this in the East End of Glasgow with various, various successes, but there is a unity emerging across these eight pastors, eight or ten pastors, that I'm saying to myself, what is God doing here? What is God doing here? We're not the church. We're the church in Perth. And there'll be things that we're not getting right, and there'll be things that other people aren't getting right, but there'll be things we are getting right, and there'll be things that they're getting right. And my goodness, together, wouldn't that be amazing? The unity of God's church. We want to to lift our heads up and look across the city and say, God, what are you doing? We'll join you there. And we might want to do that not just with the pastors and the other churches in unity that has a special place, but we might want to also ask, well, what are these social agencies doing? What are businesses doing? How do we work creatively with creative generosity and radical hospitality? That's two more of our values. How we work creatively and generously with other people across the city. And let's change the way things work. Ray Backey, who's a world-renowned writer on the church in the city, uh, says this, the bigger the city, the more personal we must become. It is not now technical resources and money from outside which will overcome these difficulties, but personal involvement and a willingness to change established patterns. That's what it means to be the people of God as well. That personal involvement in a city and a willingness to change established patterns. Urban mission must move from relief to reform. You know that we just give relief. We help a little couple of people just to make them feel better for a day. Let's change the way things work. Let's reform the way things work. Let's act in ways that are both compassion and justice so that we don't have to have food banks. That's what they cry out for. I mean, they need food in the interim period, but what they really want is for no need for there to be food banks. 
Now, I don't know how this will all work out. I'm just saying we need to be at the table or hosting the tables. Nobody else is hosting them. Let's we do it. And bring together those who are involved in mental health across the city and say, how can we do this better together? And we want to be involved in it. And to take a lead in some areas that we're able to take the lead in. And to follow in other areas that we need to follow in. But always with humble unity, kneeling towards, rising together. And the reason we're vision casting about what we're doing and this role that we want is that this role will help us better understand the place we are in, this city of Perth, and help us together to find our place in it personally and collectively for its good and godly transformation. Whenever we pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth and it is in heaven, whenever we pray that, we must be willing also to respond and do it and bring God's good reign, his righteous and just reign on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to invite the worship team to come to the front. I had a dream on Friday night. I, I don't know about you. I, I never, they tell me I dream every night. I, I never remember dreams. So when I remember a dream, I ask God, why? Why this dream? And I, I dreamt, I'm not sure what, where I was. It doesn't matter really to the story. Um, but I was in a place that was under siege uh, from an opponent, from an enemy. And uh, you could hear the murmurings and the, the, the whisperings of the enemy encroaching on the place we were. And as uh, we were kind of in our hiding place, you could see the armies moving around trying to work out where to go to defend against the enemy. And of course, everyone, including me and myself, was in this dream, was also moving around, you know, trying to find the safe places and, and, and the ways to hide or escape. And then at one point, I stopped, and I, I looked, and, and there was a field, and initially I saw the city's armies move forward. And then in the next moment, I saw them retreat back and surrender. And in this dream, and it woke me up three, I had this three times on Friday night. And each time there was this retreating, this giving up, this surrendering to the enemy. And on Saturday, I got before the Lord and I said, what, what on earth does this mean? And he said, so, and what he said to me was, sometimes the church has become so consumed by the cultural sway and wave that's come against us that it's easier to find a place to hide and retreat, put up a bit of a white flag. But instead, what they should be doing is moving out and taking ground and changing the way things are. The enemy doesn't get the last word. Jesus gets the last word. But he calls us into action for the here and now and to do what he's asked us to do. And in our city hub church, I want us to be that kind of church, not because I say so, because Jesus says so. 
and to bring that good and godly transformation in the power of the Spirit for the sake of Christ with our personal involvement in changing the way things are. Thanks be to God. Lord, I pray that we would arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you.